are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall <laughs> the most amazing, jolliest co-host of all? That's all there. Oh. Michael Dees. What's up? <laughs> You're What's festive. Up, You're Dude, in the holiday spirit. I am in the holiday spirit. It is December 16th. Like... You know, Christmas is right around the corner. We got 2020, a whole new decade is like right around the corner. How many times have you watched Elf this year? Uh, zero so far. Oh, wow. But you, I you've know. got some work to do. I know. I, I'll, I'll, is that your favorite I'll holiday movie? Yes. Yeah, and I thought so. I haven't gone downtown in my Elf costume yet, but I will. I should make that happen. You should. <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing that at least once a year. So year, what do you get me for Christmas, man? Have you decided Ooh. yet? See, you're a lot like me in the sense that you're You not, haven't gotten me anything yet? It's December 16th. That's how I'm a lot like you. <laughs> Are you no, like, uh, you, like people always say I'm hard to shop for and I don't think that that's true. But the reason why it is true is because if I see something I want, I just buy it. Okay. So people are like, you know, where a lot of people are like- inspired by I just being out. Get what I want. Yeah, okay. That sounds so, no, but like, like if I just see something, like I don't hold out for it, hope that somebody gets me a gift or something. So I just, you I buy just go it. Get, I just go get it. But then what if you get it for Christmas? I just don't get anything for Christmas. It's the reality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get anything. How's your not scotch over there? Yeah, it's not scotch. <laughs> this is not at all scotch. Not, <sighs> not at all scotch. Well, man, I'm ex- I mean, I'm just excited. We're wrapping up season two. We decided that when it comes to the podcast, we're gonna make like our seasons based on the calendar year. Makes so, sense. So season two is coming to a close. In just episode a couple 84. Episodes, and then we will start season three That's as crazy. we head into 2020. So uh, again, just wanna thank everybody for listening. And I'm already ready to rock and roll, get into the show. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> I'm definitely ready. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, yeah, I'm not drinking scotch or am I yeah. drinking my not scotch. I'm drinking my not scotch. Uh, today on the show, we have Jamie Kraft, the director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center at the University of Florida, my alma mater. Go Gators. <laughs> What's up, man? Go Gators. How are you guys? Right. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Um, we have, I, I liked our little holiday vibes. We got like the little fireplace in the background on YouTube <laughs> and like the holiday lights. It's very, very holiday-ish very in festive. here. Very festive. <laughs> Joining us this morning. Um, so Jamie, like we love to, we'd love to just start with the story mm-hmm. and just kind of hear about how you got to where you are today. Sure. What, you know, why are you in Gainesville? What brought you to UF? And, and just give us your story, man. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, well, I was born in Gainesville. Yeah, uh, okay. ACI, man, we, we actually do pretty well. <laughs> about getting the ACRs in yeah. there. Yeah, we, okay. uh, some of us stick around. I was born a Chance, I was born a Gator. Okay. Yep, orange and blue blood flowing through the veins. Um, and you know, having moved away and come back several different times, um, at one point in time, I was uh, living in uh, Atlanta. I was working for Deloitte & Touche. Uh, decided it was time to retire and moved to Paris for a year and a half. Ultimately made my way back to Gainesville. This was 2003 timeframe. Uh, working as a consultant locally and started volunteering with the Center for Entrepreneurship. And lo and behold, uh, our founding director at the time, Dr. Arnold Hagestad, said, hey, you know what, there's two of us here, myself and Bill Rossi. 
and we're trying to build something and would you come on board full time? And I said, yeah, for sure. It sounds interesting. I'll, I'll give you two years and then we'll see where I end up. And you know, here we are almost 16 years later, uh, over 16 years later. And uh, I guess I've, I've, I've fallen ass backward into a, a really cool and interesting place. And, and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you know, when I was in business school uh, here at UF, I, I stayed as far away from entrepreneurship as you can. I didn't think that was for me. And I've learned a tremendous amount over the, the past 16 years about this space. And I think it would be hard for me not to be doing something associated with entrepreneurship, innovation, or creativity. And it's been fascinating. I've been drink, drinking the Kool-Aid for, <laughs> for, not scotch, not Kool-Aid for 16, uh, 17 years. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride, and to have seen this community and and campus grow up around entrepreneurship, almost from the beginning, for right. sure. What so what years were you at UF? So I was at UF for my my graduate degree, ninety eight to two thousand. Okay. Um, so I graduated with my MBA. Um, I'm sorry, ninety six to ninety eight. I graduated uh, ninety eight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but my undergraduate was at the University of Arizona. Okay. Yeah. So out west. So how, how old were you when you retired and moved to Paris? Uh, I believe I was 27 years old, thereabouts, a retirement with quotes, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, I had uh, met a, a young lady when I was here in, in business school who was uh, an exchange student and, and ultimately, um, you know, chased her to, chased her to France. Uh, all water under the bridge, those days are, are long gone, but right. um, would I do it again? For sure, of course. It was a tremendous learning experience. Absolutely, and you know, while I was over there looking to get a job, I was learning to speak French. Um, you have to understand when I moved right at the end of 2000, the economy already started to slow down because of the Y2K. In fact, many of the consulting companies that I had worked with or previously worked for were starting to lay people off. So that was already difficult. You're living in an, uh, an environment in France where it's always already hard to get a job. And then 9-11 happened. And I was overseas when that happened. Uh, oh, I wasn't even living in the States. And it was interesting. I, I mean, I came back three months later. Uh, at the Christmas break, and it was it was to a, a different world. It was to a world of, of of news scrolls, right, which never existed before. We take those for granted now. Um, I mean, I, I landed in Atlanta, and there were there were guys with machine guns everywhere. I mean, it was really sort of this this heightened um, experience that uh, was really wild to be on the outside having witnessed it. Dang, yeah, I was. I mean, we've said it before. I was on the side hustle. Yeah. with Dan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was at UF yeah. when that happened. Yeah, I can imagine. I went, it was two thousand to two thousand four, and I remember. Yep. Just skipping class was, that day and everything. It was crazy. I also always forget about the Y two K. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Nothing worked. Uh, I mean, we're, we're probably not at a point where like listeners. Don't well, that's what we were told. Everything that, worked but, right at the end of the day. Uh, right. Right. It was we sold a, billions of dollars worth of consulting uh, gigs, uh, <laughs> scaring everybody into thinking it wasn't going to work. It was I brilliant. And, yeah. Exactly. And then lo and behold, we we crossed over. I was there during the change over to the euro, which again, you know, there was this massive heightened uh, worry about what was going to happen, and literally mm-hmm. the next. Day, you go to the ATM, out pop euros, no more Frank. It's fascinating. That's so, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we, you said that Professor Rossi and, and whom? Dr. Hagestad, who was our original founding director. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and they asked you to come on full time when? Uh, this was uh, early 2003. So I had been volunteering end of 2002, doing some projects with them. Early 2003, they said, "Hey, would you would you like to come on board? We need some operational help." 
Um, and I said, sure, you know, this is, uh, I was born here, grew up here, loved being here on campus, and it was a lot of fun. And, and the early days, the early days in the center were a tremendous amount of fun, because I think, uh, as you can imagine, it didn't seem like there was too much interest from anybody. You know, we were kind of having fun, doing everything we can to try to elevate um, entrepreneurship. You know, our mission is teach, coach, and inspire. And, and I think in the early days that much of what the center was all about was inspiration. Certainly with Professor Rossi and a handful of other folks, you know, getting young students to believe, I can do that. You know, when you sit across the table and you see somebody and you say, well, I could be in that person's shoes, you know, and, and you know, the folks like Abi and Kristen Hadid and, 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 and Augie and many others who were sort of around in those early days demonstrated that. They went out and made it, Aiden, they went out and made it happen. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a lot of what was going on in those early days as we began to grow the entity to teach entrepreneurship. The licensing office had been around for a long time working with faculty. Uh, we got to get this stuff out the door. We got to build startups or license our technology. But there wasn't really anybody working with the students at the time. And, and so we were, I'd like to say we were sort of pioneers in that space. Now, a lot of folks are doing it on campus. Yeah. It's so interesting to me to like hear these things and like, and then place myself, like where was I? That's why I always ask about mm -hmm. the dates. Like mm -hmm. where, cause I'm thinking about where was I at this time? Sure. Right, so because I was a student from mm -hmm. 2000 to 2004, I mm -hmm. took Professor Rossi's class. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I started New Scooters Plus in 2004, like I tell everybody, I was like, I was on my own. Yeah. Like virtually on my own, mm -hmm. figured out everything by myself, mm -hmm. had zero help. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of hear, I mean, I feel like I was just like a couple years too early, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like, cause I mean, Abby, Kristen, like a lot of these, you know, entrepreneurs, they started just just after that, right? That's it was right. like 06, That's 07. right, right around there, they started coming on the scene for sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting to kind of see where, like my story just aligns mm -hmm. with all of that. And, and, it. It, and it's interesting because, uh, I don't want to like, okay. So I, I kind of beat up on the university mm -hmm. system a little mm -hmm. bit sure. because of that reason. Sure, sure. Like I've always felt like, I'm like, man, the university system teaches you how to work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. it, they really don't, they really don't, uh, you know, teach, coach and inspire you how to let, to go like inspire you to go do your thing mm -hmm. and start your own thing. So it's really cool to see that these resources and these things are becoming available and that even professors that, you know, believed in me in the early mm -hmm. days, like Professor Rossi, mm -hmm. like are the ones who helped kick that off. Sure. Um, so, so it's really cool to see that. Um, but I guess, I don't know, I don't even really know where I'm going with that. <laughs> Except it's just kind of cool to kind of see yeah. how everything how everything is lined up. Yeah, I mean, we endeavor to get there, of course, and look at the end of the day, we don't do everything perfectly. Um, but I think you're right. I think there are more and more now, there are more students who, you know, see a changing landscape. They see a lot of things going on in the world and they say, you know, help me to understand how I can leverage these skill sets to try to go out there and make a difference. Uh, so why do you think it was in that 2003, four, <clears throat> five era where like, there was this turn of focus to entrepreneurship. I mm. mean, like the masters in entrepreneurship yeah. did not exist when That's right. I was in school. That's right. Um, like, entre I mean, really, the only entrepreneurship class was <clears throat> Rossi's That's right. principles of entrepreneurship, right? That's correct. So, like, why in that that time frame was this there this transition to mm. a focus on hmm. more entrepreneurship? Do you have any idea? Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. Um, 
I don't. I mean, I think you, you, you could argue if you looked nationwide, certainly, but, you know, for the last 20 years, we've seen exponential growth in entrepreneurship centers nationwide uh, at universities. Um, so there, there certainly there was a groundswell uh, of support across these universities to drive more of it. Uh, maybe it was timing on my part. I just got there at the right time as we saw more of it. No doubt at the end of the day, the, the college, of course, uh, and the university have to be supportive of these efforts. I think in the early days, our college was. Uh, it took the university a while to start uh, pushing more into the education side. Certainly, you know, Innovation Academy and, and some of the other things that have come on board over the last couple of years have been efforts by the university to do even more with, with, with entrepreneurship. But in the early days, really, we had the licensing office and we had CEI, which, you know, that was our old acronym. I think we still hold on to that. And, you know, like I said, I joined the team uh, shortly thereafter. One of my other colleagues um, joined us. Um, and so there were four of us. And, you know, again, we didn't know what we don't know. We just said, let's go make it happen. And we started adding courses. We started adding programming. Uh, we launched the MS Entrepreneurship Program at the time. Um, you know, and, and then inevitably, obviously, in the early days, the economy starts to grind to a halt, right? And so in, in that case is where you see more and more people saying, uh, there are no jobs out there, maybe I have to create my own. Uh, I can't always believe that there's gonna be something for me in the large corporate setting. Um, but I think early on, I think it was a small team of individuals who believe they could change the world, which is probably not too different from a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah. And we were able to leverage resources, uh, primarily certainly from our college, to start demonstrating that, hey, you know what, there's something there. And now, you know, you look, look out there just even today and uh, we teach 25 plus courses in entrepreneurship. You've got the Engineering Innovation Institute, you've got the Innovation Academy, you have efforts uh, in fine arts and journalism and elsewhere on campus driving more entrepreneurial thinking uh, as we move into this innovation economy. And at the end of the day, for us, while we do endeavor to try to get students to launch businesses, we also recognize that it's a mindset. Uh, and some will go work for small businesses, some will go work for nonprofits, et cetera. Take these entrepreneurial competencies, go out there and make a difference. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny, like, I even when I look back at some of the <clears throat> things that have happened over the course of my, you know, 15 years as an entrepreneur, I, I give a lot of credit to Professor Rossi in particular. Sure. I mean, even even from this, you know, I talk about the speaking stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I speak a lot. I mean, you've even asked me, like, and connected yeah. me with professors. Hey, Colin, like, this professor's looking, yep. you know, for people to come in and speak. Uh, you know, and and so I do that quite often, which I love to do. Mm -hmm. And and now, you know, getting paid to go speak in yeah. other places in the country, which is like even inc incredible. But sure, I mean, Professor Rossi really gave me that first opportunity and and asked me if I would come back and speak in his class. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the first time I did, I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. You know, like a nervous wreck. And then he asked me to come back and do it again. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, sure. you really want me to come back? You passed the test. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, that, I mean, that makes you know, a huge difference to the people in the classroom. I mean, yeah. you always want to bring in a variety of different individuals. Sometimes we have the wizened, uh, successful individuals who've been out already for 30 years. But I think from the student's perspective, be able to look across the table and say, oh, well, that doofus Colin can do it. <laughs> Shouldn't I be able to do it, right? You know, and, and, and so I think, you know, just by being in the room, you you inspire individuals to believe. Okay, I know it's hard; it's an incredibly difficult journey, but um, you know it's not something that's that's totally unattainable. And and I think it really helps to have, which is one reason why we like people to stay in town. I mean, at the end of the day, if they're successful entrepreneurs anywhere in this world, we're happy. Um, but if they stay in Gainesville, back to this point of, of building an entrepreneurial community, it just gives students more opportunities to hear from speakers, get internships, etc. 
and that really matters. I mean, you're transitioning this podcast so very well. <laughs> I mean, so let's, so let's talk about that, right? Because, you know, the, the one of the struggles that I see, you know, from this, from the University of Florida and the business community here is really trying to get the students outside of the UF bubble, if you will, <clears throat> and into our entrepreneurial community. I mean, what can, what can mm-hmm. we do as a business community to help facilitate that a little bit more? What can we do to like say, hey students, it's okay to cross University Avenue, come this way, right. <laughs> or 13th yeah. Street, you know, come downtown, like get get exposed to this stuff. Um, because I just feel like they get locked into this, this bubble and then it's hard to expose them to the companies, I mean, that they have no idea sure. exists. You yeah, know, I mean, what can we do better to facilitate that? Yeah, I, well, so from our perspective, uh, being uh, you know inside the 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 behind the walls, if you will, it sort of reminds me of these embassies that that go down, that, that go into disaster zones where you know the individuals never leave. It's like come see us and come through the front doors, and we're not going to go out into the community at all. Um, from our perspective, I think a community that's open to helping, again, speak. Uh, provide projects, uh, you know, interact with us where we say, hey, there's some really cool things we can do to try to drive students out into the community. Uh, it's certainly helpful to have a partner on the other side. Uh, now, that's obviously thinking from us coming to you and saying, hey, here's some things going on. Uh, I do think from my colleagues' perspective on campus, I think being more open to working with the community helps. I mean, we try to collaborate where possible, wherever we have resources to get involved when people say, hey, this is going on or that's going on. Um, but, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think if nothing else, we have to tinker and try things. I mean, some will work, some will be home runs, some will never touch again. Um, I think uh, efforts like this where we try to bring a lot of different diverse perspectives uh, so we can share thoughts and ideas is great. Having opportunities to interact more. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, some people talk about this sort of notion of blending it all. Uh, you know, I had a friend years ago at Deloitte who talked about this idea of a, of a mixed salad, right? You still have distinct pieces in there. There's the crouton, there's the carrot, but they're all playing well together. And I think, um, <clears throat> I think there's plenty more opportunities to do that. We try, we endeavor to get our students not just out of the classroom on campus, but into the community. Uh, you know, we believe in experiential learning. We want them to work on projects for companies. We want them to intern with companies over at the hub or wherever else in town. Uh, we want them to shadow entrepreneurs, and we give them activity sets that uh, to try to get them to do more of that. Because, uh, as you said, you know, they they need to step across the the, the river that is 13th Street. Um, and you know, we could say, well, it's you know, it's half a block. Well, it might as be might as well be halfway around the world sometimes. So, as an example, we run this program with the uh, uh, East Side Entrepreneurs uh, called the Gainesville Entrepreneurship and Adversity Program. Roughly twenty-five to thirty individuals who go through a six-week boot camp in the fall. In the spring, we select a subset of those and we send the students out to meet with them and consult with them. So the students kind of get some experience of wow, there's there's some really unique businesses in town. Who, who need some support, and at the same time, some of those folks on the east side recognize, oh, the university is trying to provide help. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's gonna be a continual journey, for yeah. sure. I mean, what is it, like, I don't know, I mean, when you're talking about like internships and stuff, I feel like students have this perceived I guess they just have this perception of like these of the big companies, sure, right? And like going to New York or Atlanta yeah. or LA yeah, for, sure. for for an internship. Uh, 
you know, to, to work for a, a, just a big company. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just like, they just want that stamp on their resume. Yeah, sure. You know, but I feel like they're gonna get so much more value out of, inter- like you said, like interning for a local organization here mm-hmm. where they have access to that organization virtually all the time. Yep. And they're gonna get, they're gonna learn so much more. They're gonna sure. get more skill set um, just through, through that internship because it's not gonna be a huge company. Sure. You know? Like yeah, anyone. no. I mean, I think you're right. I think on their resume, they always feel like they want to have that big name out there because the reality is wherever they go the rest of their life, HR officers can say, well, validated, right? Who's new scooters for less? Maybe I don't know who that is, so I've really got to do my effort to interview this individual. But if I see Apple or I see you know Google on there, well, then I have to assume somebody else has taken care of the validation. So mm. I think it, it's you know certainly lazy HR officers eventually down the road. Uh, I'll probably be getting an email now from <laughs> the, the HR officer organization. But I, I understand that from a student's perspective. It's not, it's about laying that pathway out. You know, it reminds me of a funny story. Years ago, I had a student come to me. So uh, Volt, do you guys know Volt uh, down in Sarasota, Trey Lauderdale? Uh, uh, MS entrepreneurship grad years ago started the company and he hired uh, an individual Rob Campbell who had been involved in our center for years and Rob was I think employee like number 25 at Apple and then eventually left and founded a company called Forethought which invented uh, PowerPoint so Rob had the opportunity to work with Jobs and and both Gates over this time frame well he was in Florida he was working with us and then when 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 he eventually uh, moved on from our center he was you know dabbling with some things in Sarasota and and Trey and Oscar, our former MSC, started this company and they had hired Rob to be the CEO. Volt, right? Voice alarm text is what they do. Uh, iPhone applications for nursing stations. So I get a, uh, I get an email from a student at one point saying, hey, can you connect me with Rob Campbell? I know he worked with Apple. I wonder if he'll be able to get me a job there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, wouldn't you rather have a job with Volt? You know, because by now, you know, Apple's, I don't know, 75,000 employees. It's not really a startup. But if you're super excited about what they did at Apple, maybe you ought to go to Volt because they're going to start to do the same thing again there. Build a small startup, a tech company. Don't you want to be a part of that journey? No, 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 no. I just want to get to get the job with Apple. Well, they just sold Volt last year for $180 million. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, when, when you ultimately look back and think about, I could have been in on the front line, you know, it could have been employee 100 for all I know. But to your point, you'd see everything going on. Right, you're in the thick of it. You may be dealing with finance on a day-to-day basis, but in a small company, you're gonna see hiring, you're gonna see product development, you're gonna see all the issues exposed, and you will probably learn much more than I'm just gonna take that functional line job. How do you get students to see that? Uh, exposing them more and more to local startups. I think giving them an opportunity, which is what we do with a lot of these things where they say, oh, I'm not really interested in that. And then you force them to go and they're like, wow, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, yeah, it's like everything your parents tell you, right. You know, go to college and, you know, stay out of the sun, don't eat red meat or whatever, you know, listen to what we're telling you and experience it. And then you'll begin to see how valuable it can be. But um, that's, that's not always easy. Um if we could, if this podcast can serve as a facilitator of that in mm-hmm. any way, mm-hmm. like let me know. Yeah, for sure. Because I think I think we have a, a very like we we have an incredible audience, mm-hmm. which is made up of business owners mm-hmm. and business businessmen and women here in Gainesville. For sure. And and so I think you know I'm always thinking about the long term, you know, the vision for this podcast and and the missions that we have, and that's a, that's a huge one. Like sure. retaining some of our top seven talent. Yep you know, here in Gainesville to help us build this community, I think is critical. And the more that these, you know, this entrepreneurial environment continues to blossom, 
which it has incredibly over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think we just we just need more of that talent to stay. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people, and I don't know how we should handle this, but a lot of people know or they've seen, you know, because I'll film it. Like I'll film it. Like if I go talk to a mm-hmm. club at the University sure. of Florida, like I'll film it. And so they're saying, "Oh, how do you know? How do you like? How do these organizations know to contact you?" Sure. I'm like. I guess it's just because I've done it so many times, they they know that if they reach out that the likelihood of me saying yes, if it aligns with my schedule is, mm-hmm. is high. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're like, oh, well, you know, I would love to go speak sure. at University of Florida. You know, sure, can, sure. can you connect me with somebody? Sure. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sure I can, you know, figure yeah. out how to get you in, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I like I feel like I can very much play, and, and Michael too, and like the rest of our crew here play at this, you know, middleman, yep. if you will, between the university and the business community. And I, and I would love to do that because I just know that the more of that talent we can retain. Um, and like you said, I think it's just getting them exposed. Sure. It's just getting them exposed. And and I don't think they really know that like the Chamber of Commerce offers like uh, a membership Mm -hmm. for students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know how to further like communicate that. (laughs) Yeah. Like because I would love to see more students even going to like chamber events and just networking and getting getting into the environment. Sure. um, and some I, of that, you know, again, that some of that's on us too. Where I mean, there are times when we'll send kids to different events. Uh, hey, we'll we'll cover you, or we'll we'll take care of it uh, to try to drive them into the community. And um, yeah, again, I think we just need to we need to push more of of that out there as well. Of course, the reality is we often send the people that already know about this stuff because they're super interested in entrepreneurship. So I don't know. I guess that helps to strengthen them. Might not help to get the broader word out, but uh, yeah, still working on that. Um, did you, like I just heard that the that Florida State yes. University created yes. a college of yes. entrepreneurship. That's right. You heard this? Yes. And it's apparently the first one. Uh, no, there have been at least three or four others. Um, schools of entrepreneurship. Off the top of my head, I should be able to name them. Um, I want to say Belmont. I know Belmont, I believe, was in there. I can't remember who the first one was. Uh, that's right. They took their gift and they created a school outside of the business school that's in uh, effectively like the provost's uh, purview. Uh, you know, there's a there's a debate inside the entrepreneurial academic community as to whether that's the right way or the wrong way. Um, you know, does it help from an academic perspective to have connections to business? Maybe. Uh, does it help to be independent? I don't know, um, but I would not be surprised if we see more and more and more of those uh, eventually. I mean, at UF, it's not too, in some respects, dissimilar to the Innovation Academy that exists uh, as, a, as a single program outside of any particular college. Um, you know, you see at Stanford, as an example, the D School, if you're familiar with the design school at Stanford, in a disciplinary programming, not necessarily just for entrepreneurship, but... Uh, same kind of deal. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out at, um, at, at, at at Florida State. I do believe that they're still keeping some of their programming inside business. Would this happen at UF? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's an appetite for that. Um, I think we do try to do as much as we can inside the centers that we have around campus. Um, but sometimes, you know, a donor comes along and says, hey, you know what, I'd really love to support this kind of endeavor. Then Then you probably have to listen to them for sure. Yeah. Well, and like, and so, I made I made like a little rant on this mm-hmm. when when I saw this mm-hmm. come out, like talk, talking about Florida State and this school of entrepreneurship, uh, yeah, school of entrepreneurship, and I was like, this is, I mean, this is great. Like, I 
I think I think it's cool to mm-hmm. see these types of programs, whether it's the University of Florida mm-hmm. and what you guys are doing, like uh, it this just entrepreneurship in general having a focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, you know, if, if FSU really wanted to do this right, I said there needs the things that I believe that need to be taught that at least they were not being taught when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And you can tell me whether whether these things are being taught now, uh, you know. And I said, and I just I wrote out a list. I said, I said I'll be interested to see if FSU will actually teach the things that need to be taught: how to physically start a business, mm-hmm. how to apply for an occupational license, sales tax, etc how to set up and use programs like QuickBooks to track whether or not you are actually making money. I, mean, I, I reflect, when I started New Scooters for Less, like we set up QuickBooks like eight months down the road because mm-hmm. I had no idea that this program existed and I was like, wow, that would have been super helpful. <laughs> um, you know, how, how to build meaningful brand, how to build and lead teams and build strong organizational cultures, how to set up business processes and systems and how to reinvest in real assets. One of the biggest things that, you you know, when I when I go back and I speak at UF, you know, I, one of the common questions is from college students is like, if you were going to do this all over, like what, would like what would you differently, right? Sure. And I said, like, dude, I would have invested and reinvested my money a lot sooner. Mm. Like I never took a class on how to invest, mm-hmm. and and you know, like I'm like, man, if mm. I would have realized the the importance of of cash flow and how to you know take the the profits that I've earned and and reinvest them um, into assets that are gonna generate cash flow, that would've been a huge win. And Mm -hmm. I didn't get that education until I read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad (laughs) years later, you know what I mean? And I'm like, and so when I see these uh, programs start to be established, I'm like, man, I hope they'll actually do it. And I I even say in here, I was like, like, do you you want a real win here? Like, let's let these students go to these programs, Mm -hmm. build a business, Mm and actually focus on earning a profit mm-hmm. that then pays for their school because another mm-hmm. huge problem I see is students graduating with enormous amounts of debt. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> right? So I'm like, sure. if they could actually create a business while in school mm-hmm. that actually paid for their school, that would be such a huge win yeah. to graduate with, sure. with a business and no debt. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if these things are fiz- uh, are feasible. I don't know if these things are are being taught. Um, our good friend Parker Van Hart mm-hmm. actually commented and was like, "Hey, so you know, like mm-hmm. these things are are being taught now." At, yeah. at, and you know, at the University of Florida, and I'm like, I'm like, thank thank yeah. you. I don't know like the extent of all those things. Sure. You know, but it's yeah. No, let me. Uh, th- that's great. That that great points. You're absolutely right. Um, so let me start. I'll, I'll make a couple of points at a high level. One of the things we endeavor to do across graduate and undergraduate programs uh, is focus on helping students master a set of skill sets and competencies that our researchers have identified through looking at lots of entrepreneurial uh, efforts that will make you successful. That's what, this is what they believe and this is what the research would show. Uh, and so we've identified these 13 competencies and we hope that the students inside in the classroom and outside the classroom will begin to master those skill sets. So things like, can you identify opportunity? Do you know how to mitigate risk? Do you understand how to leverage resources? Can you convey a compelling vision? Do you know about value creation? How to be tenacious? How to build up your self-efficacy? So things like that. Uh, has been shown that if you do those really well, and the question is, can you teach them? We believe you can, but some people, it's more intuitive than others. Uh, But if you do those really well, 
you will be a highly successful entrepreneur. So as an example, if you understand how to leverage resources and leverage your networks where you have deficiencies in managing cash flow and or other uh, activities, you'll figure it out. You learn it on your own. If you haven't learned it in the classroom, uh, you'll bring people on board that can help you with it. So at a high level, those are the competencies. Now, at the nuts and bolts level, we have a course only at the graduate level right now called the first 100 days the first 100 days of your entrepreneurial startup. What are all the things you need to do? Well, you need to get permitting, you need to focus on your regulations, you need to think about hiring contracts, right? You need to think about just establishing the, the entity structure, et cetera. So that's where we get down to the granular level and hopefully we'll be able to do more of that at the undergraduate level. To your point of how do you maybe learn some of these things? Well, that goes back to the consulting that we have our students do with our Eastside entrepreneurs, sometimes in GatorNest, with our programs that we've had in Africa and Haiti. We don't go over there to teach these individuals to be entrepreneurial. They're, mm. they're supremely entrepreneurial. What they struggle with is business efficiency. So I have a student who sits down with, as an example, an entrepreneur on the east side of Gainesville, and they say, what are your problems? Well, I, I don't understand my cash flow and what's coming in and out. I have no idea about my inventory and what kind of working capital I have tied up. I have no branding, I have no signage, I have no you know letterhead, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, the students will pick the top two or three problems and say, we're going to endeavor to help you develop a solution and implement it. Because if I just tell you, you know what, you need a gingerbread house, uh, here's the plans, you'll say that's great and you'll put it on the shelf and maybe three years later you'll get to it. So I say, no, we're gonna build it together and you're gonna live in that house for at least two or three weeks before we pack up. So if you don't have entrepreneurial skill sets as it relates to computers, fine, we'll build you simple cash, uh, simple ledgers. Keep track on paper, but understand, revenue in, expenses out, you gotta know what that means. We find all the time, people think, you know what, it only cost me a dollar to make this. Well, it's not fully burdened. It actually costs you $3 and you're selling it for two. You're losing money on every mm -hmm. product you sell. So the more you sell, you're running into an issue here. So let's understand that. So that goes to some of those nuts and bolts issues of we'll help you get a, a QuickBooks account set up. Uh, start using it. We'll give you some homework assignments. You make this transaction a day, this transaction. See if it works in the Excel file we built with you or the uh, QuickBooks file. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we need to do more of that for sure. We always do. Um, but those are the skill sets on the ground that will help you as well as these higher sort of competencies of I need to understand um, entrepreneurial competencies to be successful. Yeah, and I think, like again, like Parker said, I wanted to quote him on this. He said, Colin, those details are being taught in UF's MSc program. Yeah. Think of e-ship programs like art school. Studying art doesn't make you a great artist. Practice does. Yeah. School exposes you to competencies. It's up to you to master them. And, and Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Practice makes perfect. I mean, we say that all the time. It's got to be experiential learning. You've got to learn by doing, um, you know, Again, this goes back to can you teach it? Well, can you teach somebody uh, to play the trumpet? Uh, can you teach somebody to shoot a basketball? This is a quote I, I, I like to use from Tina Seelig at Stanford. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, for some people, it just comes much more intuitively than others. But if you work at it over and over, um, you should get better and better, uh, like anything. Um, but you have to give people a starting point, right? You have to give them the tools to get better at understanding cash flow and managing it. It is good. I, you know, I, I want to clarify some things because I I love the University of Florida and I love everything that you guys are doing. I love the opportunities that even Professor Rossi way back in the day mm -hmm. gave me. I think sometimes it comes across that I beat up on the university system um, often. <laughs> and and I think that perspective is very much because I'm like, look, like I, I, 
I want to educate people. Like it, I, I understand that a lot of the world is going to go and work for somebody, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want more of this. I want mm-hmm. I want more of like how do we, you know, how how do we create the like the farmers, like the people mm-hmm. who are actually going, you know, like mm-hmm. how how do we create more entrepreneurs, the people who are going to go out and create businesses and create something not only for themselves, but for, and build entire teams of, of people. And, mm-hmm. and I just felt like, at least when I was in school, mm-hmm. um, that didn't exist. Yeah, sure. And, and so it's really cool and inspiring to see what you guys are doing and, and one in, uh, you know, to play a piece of that. Sure. Like, I, I love that I get to go back and speak sure. to the students and, and show them that these things are possible. And Sure, yeah, well look, I mean, as an entrepreneur, every big problem is an opportunity. Right. And, you know, I know we've got really strong entrepreneurial uh, students when they start to question everything, right? Those are the ones who have already that mindset to say, I wanna fix this. I wanna come up with a new solution to make this better, and so, um, I, never will I sit here and say what we do is perfect or the university. I think there's always a need to question things and keep pushing ourselves to get better and better. And it's probably the entrepreneurs local who, who see those issues and say, hey, we got to fix that. And if it ain't going to be fixed, I'll go do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I tell students all the time, find a problem and solve it. And it's OK if there's an incumbent because they may be the problem. Uh, you know, you may have a gap in the marketplace. Or you may have a company that just has terrible customer service or product quality is low or whatever. Um, so uh, solve that problem and then down the road, don't forget where you came from and don't become the problem. Or students five years from now are gonna say, I'm gonna put that guy out of business, mm-hmm. right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's, I think it's okay to, to question everything that's going on and constantly push us uh, to think about what we're doing and, and, and do it better. I mean, it's always hard at the end of the year when we ask our students, what did you like and what didn't you like? More importantly, what didn't you like? Uh, you know, there's things we can change, there's things we can't change, and there's things we won't change, but we have to ask for that feedback. It's like a chef who doesn't want to go out in the kitchen because they're afraid to hear what people say. Well, you may be out of, month, out of business three months later because you didn't know your food was too salty. Mm. Maybe you should ask your customers so you have a feel for it. And so, Can you recall anything that somebody said in terms of something that... No accounting. We should get rid of accounting. Absolutely. I'll never, I never want to take an accounting class in my life as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm going to hire a bookkeeper. Yeah, you'll hire a bookkeeper. But at the end of the day, it's your business. You should be able to look over their shoulder and at least understand in your industry some of the trends. Um, of course, you're going to hire a bookkeeper. We don't expect you to be a bookkeeper, but it's good to understand the basics of it so you can have a conversation with that account. Because at the end of the day, um, they're probably working on a lot of other businesses, and, and this is your livelihood. So that's one example uh, of something where they say, and I hear that one a lot, get rid of that. We don't need it. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, we, we, have, we have advisory board members who say students sometimes need more finance and accounting. I think we're trying to strike that balance. Okay. Uh, because again, at the end of the day, if you look at the competencies, you might argue, well, accounting doesn't matter, right? You'll leverage resources to find a way to get it done. If you can sell a vision that there are a whole bunch of people in this town who need access to scooters to get to and from class at convenience, then I'll find people to help me to run this business. I'll go hire an accountant as a student example or somebody else, but I've got to bring together, you know, that team and the funding to make it happen. So again, we want them to understand it, but at the same time, let's be entrepreneurial and focus on the competencies as well. That's good. No, I think it's interesting. It seems like on an academic level, a lot of the focus on entrepreneurship and stuff has been on, on the master side of things. And only recently we're going into the undergraduate. As I'm <coughs> combing through some of the preliminary questions that we have, it says mm-hmm. you, you got your undergrad degree in microbiology? Correct. 
we have that in common. Yes, uh, great. So that, I think that's interesting. Is there any, would you say there's any value or advantages to doing undergraduate work in something that's not business related? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I argue that I really like this notion of entrepreneurship as a minor, because I always say uh, some of the best entrepreneurs out there are the poets, the chemists, the sociologists, whatever you're passionate about from a particular topic perspective, go find that and get involved in it. And then keep your eyes open to the problems in that space. If you're an English major and you recognize that the major publishing houses only focus on mainstream books that are gonna reach a billion people, what about all those obscure authors who are trying to get their name out there? They just can't do it. Okay, I'll solve that problem. I'm gonna leverage a team to build a simple platform so people can self-publish. Uh, you know, and get that obscure topic out there. I still love English. It's what I do and who I am, and I want to be a part of that space. Um, but I can be an entrepreneur as well, and we see that all the time. We have uh, 250 to 300 teams that sign up for our big idea competition every year. Mm -hmm. They come from all over campus, from all walks of life. And, and I do think it's important that all of those individuals at least have an understanding of, of some of those entrepreneurial competencies and skill sets, because to your point, they're not all gonna go to the career fair and get jobs, uh, but they all see things in their industry that they think they can help change. And, and yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there's a huge advantage to that kind of background. So I'm curious, on, on the personal level, what made you get into microbiology and what made you get out of it? Yeah. Or not, not have that focus anymore? Yeah, no fair point. Uh, I always grew up wanting to be a zoologist. Uh, um, you know, I, I had all these little, uh, I think they were National Geographic trading cards, if you can believe it, as a kid, um, which, you know, does not exist, I'm sure, anymore. And, and, and I was just fascinated by animals and zoology. And zoology or veterinary was where I thought I would end up. Um, you know, and, and when I got to school, I immediately switched to chemical engineering because I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, everybody's going to do that. I'm going to make a billion dollars. Well, quickly realized, <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I don't necessarily like this as much. So let me go back to, to biology. And I zeroed in on microbiology and, you know, postgraduate as working as a biochemist briefly, I thought, okay, well, I know I'll probably go back to business school because that's in our family. So um, maybe through business, I can leverage these skill sets and go work in the biotech industry or the pharma industry, right? Again, an industry that I understand that I'm familiar with, but leverage the business side of things. Uh, and so that's that's sort of the way I thought it was gonna work out. Um, you know, I've taken a very circuitous pathway and I, I think that's not uncommon, right? I mean, we have this, um, academic theory, uh, if I get it right, in entrepreneurship called corridor theory, which says, okay, uh, there's a hallway and you know you wanna get to the door at the end, but there's lots of little doors along the way. The reality is your first idea is probably wrong anyway. Let the market drive where you're gonna go and react to that market, don't evangelize, take what they give you. Um, you're probably gonna end up going in one of those doors along that corridor. Um, and this is an important lesson for students. The reality is the only way you can get to those doors is if you start going down the hallway. And we see this with students all the time, right? Oh, when I graduate, I'll start my business. Or, mm. you know, when I get more knowledge, I'll start my business. Or I get more money, I'll start my business. Or I find the right opportunity, I'll start my business. Whatever have you. But a lot of them already have ideas of how they want to change the world today. They just won't take that first step. And really, you're just trying to tell them, just, I mean, Nike has the greatest tagline for entrepreneurs, just do it. Don't worry about it being perfect. Go, because the market will present itself. Uh, I think that's why probably a lot of investors say, I'm not so much interested in scooters per se, but I love Colin and Michael, mm -hmm. uh, because I know they'll figure it out. Because the reality is at the end of the day, it's gonna be a circuitous pathway. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have, we'll use that often used overword term pivots, right? Um, 
but you'll figure it out as you go. And, and so for students, sometimes they're nervous about that. Oh gosh, I just don't have all the skill sets or uh, I don't have uh, you know, the, the right team in place or whatever. Well, the very definition, the very academic definition of entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity beyond those resources you can control. You're not expected to have everything at your fingertips. You gotta be entrepreneurial, you gotta go make it happen. So start moving that direction. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally. It's this sort of dramedy made in the 80s where you've got Billy Mike Crystal. Mike definitely has. Okay, yeah. Mike definitely. Okay, so <laughs> throw Mike under the bus. All right. right yeah, so, far, all right, so I, I figured. I, I tell students this all the time, I'll right? Have, I'll have what she's having. You've got this dramedy, right? And you've got uh, Meg Ryan and, and Harry. Uh, um, Billy Crystal. As Sally and Billy Crystal as Harry, right? And so they, they meet each other in the beginning of the movie and ultimately hate each other. And then they move to New York. And over time, right, you know, they, they get to know each other and they become friends and they become more than friends and they have this huge falling out. Uh, and so here we are at the end of the movie <clears throat> and we find ourselves, um, you know, Sally's at some highfalutin, you know, black tie New Year's Eve party downtown and Harry's moping through Central Park you know eating a, an ice cream cone and he's feeling sad for himself and you know it's at this point you roll the obligatory you know movie montage showing all the great scenes that happened over the course of the movie and Harry you know he throws his ice cream cone into the garbage can and he, he's racing through the city to try to get a cab runs all the way downtown runs up the stairs just as Sally's leaving um, and you know he runs over to her and he says marry me and, and she says well, you know, Harry, it's, it's New Year's Eve. You're just feeling sorry for, self, for yourself. Uh, you don't really want to get married. And he's like, no, you know, the minute you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible. And, and so what I, I try to tell students with that analogous story is, look, at the end of the day, if that's what you want to do, go do it. Start now. You've got lots of resources while you're here as a student, but start taking that first step. It may change along the way, but that's okay. But just do it. Go. Make it happen. Love it. Okay, so what do you tell the students? Because this is something that I hear so very often when I speak is, you know, <clears throat> all right, so Colin, how, how do you discover what you're passionate about? Yeah. Because it's one thing, like, if you know, like, That's oh, right. this, is, this is what I want to do. Okay, sure. go. <laughs> sure. I go, but, like, sure. there's so many students who are sitting in that last semester. Yeah. I mean, they're in that last semester at UF. Sure. And there's all this pressure. Uh, I'm graduating. Yeah. It's, it's January, and I'm graduating sure. in May. I went to this school, you know, to this college at UF and, you know, here I am, I'm about to graduate and I literally have no idea what I want to do with the rest of my life and they right. feel like they should 100% have it all figured out by sure. now and and they keep hearing, oh, well do what you're passionate about and, and right. they literally have no idea what they're passionate about. Right, like, so. What do you tell those students? So, hear that all the time, for sure. Uh, and I can tell you that, that your passions will change, right? I mean, look at me. I, Started out in microbiology, and here I am sitting in a podcast studio talking about <laughs> entrepreneurship. I never would have predicted that. But what I do try to ask them is this. When you go home at night, do you sit and just stare at blank walls? No, I, I, I like to read blogs about uh, you know, cycling. Okay, boom, that might be something you're passionate about. Uh, no, I, I really you know, like to watch documentaries about climate change. Boom, something you're passionate about, right? So uh, certainly these passions will change, but back to this notion of the corridor, uh, start now today going after whatever it is you think you're passionate about today and allow passions to change and morph over time, right? This notion of FOMO, well, if I do this now, that's it. I'm, I'm stuck in this for the rest of my life, so I'm paralyzed to take that first step. Um, Why do you think that perception's been created? Uh, you know what? That's I don't think I have the answer to that. If I did, I probably would be a very rich I mean, individual. I think a lot of it's conditioned. I mean, yeah. I, I think that 
look at it with personal relationships, you would, well, most people wouldn't get into a relationship saying, eh, this is what I want to do right now, and maybe I don't want to do it later, and I'll just opt out. A lot of people believe once you get married, you're married forever, right? Like, there, there's <coughs> some so- social yeah. conditioning there. He, here's another thing, uh, and this is my favorite business book of all time, so if that's on your list, great, we can check that off. The Monk and the Riddle, The Art of Creating a, a Life While Making a Living. It's written by Randy Komisar. Uh, who's a, a venture capitalist for um, uh, Caulfield Byers, um, Kleiner Perkins out in the West Coast. And Randy, if you hear this, I'll take the kickback now. So what Randy says essentially at the end of the day is, look, you can, you can kill yourself for 35 years doing something to make a bunch of money so you can retire. Or you can find ways to blend what you do uh, and make a living. And you might make a, le- a lot less money but your life will be so much more enjoyable. Certainly students at the end of the day are thinking, I just gotta get a job, and I gotta get a job that pays the bills, uh, and hopefully it's a job that, you know, it's with, you know, per my classmates, it's one of the top 50 companies to work for, and it's a cool place, and it's a name people have heard of, um, as opposed to starting when you're a freshman, start getting these internships and connections in the space that you're interested right now, and hopefully it'll 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 shake itself out. So not to, to pick on accounting, but if for example, you know, you want to be a, you just love gardening. That's really all you like to do is play in your garden. Okay, well maybe you don't get that accounting degree to go work thirty five years for Price Waterhouse so you can retire early. Maybe you get your accounting degree and you open a nursery locally. So you can help other people share your joy of working with plants and flowers and things of that nature. Uh, maybe you get a supply chain degree and get involved in the cut flower industry as they're grown in South America and distributed to you know, Amsterdam where they're sold in the markets, for example, in Tulip and brought back through the port of Miami, right? Uh, hard to do, easy to pay lip service, no doubt. Um, but think about the things that you get excited about right now today and try to find ways to get closer to positions in that space. Uh, if you just like playing soccer, I mean, there's a variety of different things you can do, right? You could be a youth soccer coach. You could start soccer camps. You can very, be very entrepreneurial, thinking about how soccer could be used to help children build up re- resilience and overcome anxiety, whatever. Um, but if that's what you love to do, try to find ways to get closer to that. That's good. So if you're gonna go start a business today, what would it be? Uh, you know, I, th- I think uh, I like ed- education and I like being a part of education. I, I've been looking through some of the research on displaced people around the world uh, and the, under, the number of individuals that li- either living as refugees or displaced persons is unbelievably huge, especially children. I think they say close to you know maybe 60 million children around the world who are living displaced, finding ways to do something unique in an education setting where they can continue to learn and grow as they're moving from place to place. Uh, because I can imagine that would be very difficult. That would be something that it's interest uh, uh, of sure. mine. Uh, you know, I, li- I like this idea of of you know helping people around the globe, but at the same time doing it with education. So that that's that's one, which I think would be a fascinating space to be in. That's cool. Um, kind of swinging back to here. There's a bunch of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of businesses that are starting to blossom. You know, here in Gainesville. Um, do you feel like there's too much emphasis on raising capital when it comes to entrepreneurship in 2019. Here we are going into 2020. Um, yes, and you do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, look. Y- y- at some point in time, you've got to have some capital. Uh, but again, if you go back to our competencies, one of them, which we talk a lot about, 
leveraging resources. Uh, because this, this, this uh, the first slide I threw up on my uh, uh, slideshow that uh, you know myself and some other faculty have worked with. Here's how it works, right? You come up with a phenomenal idea, you raise a bunch of money, and you make a bunch of money. Well, that falls apart on the raise a bunch of money, right? And even this notion of going to friends, family, and fools, you know, you need a boot camp, uh, sorry, boot camp, you need a bootstrap, uh, you need to find ways to leverage other individuals' resources, uh, you need to leverage a set of techniques that can help you potentially keep your cash flow down, your burn rate down in the beginning. Um, why we talk to students about venture capital, I think it's interesting to introduce, excuse me, this notion of venture capital and angel investing. Uh, but the reality is many of them are never going to have an opportunity to sit down in front of a venture capitalist, figure out how to leverage what you have around you to move your idea forward. Start small. Um, there's another great book out there called Little Bets, if you've never seen it. It's all about knowing what you can lose, moving ideas forward very slowly, reinvest, customer discovery, reinvest, customer discovery. Uh, you don't have to raise $50 million to go make it happen day one find ways to move it forward, even if you're testing it, right? Hey, I wanna build a t-shirt store across the street and sell all these t-shirts. Well, maybe you should sell them out of the trunk of your car first, just to be sure. Or maybe you could sell them online. Maybe you could sell them on consignment. Maybe you could rent a space somewhere. Don't build a building and lock up all those fixed costs. Mm -hmm. Take small steps to get there. Well, you're saying you need $50 million to build this building. It's not true, but you know, 50,000 to build a building or whatever. Start small, right? Print a couple t-shirts, print 10 of them with this phenomenal logo and design you think are great and start selling them and see if people are interested and then build from there. Back to your point of reinvest back in the business. I do think there is an emphasis too much on on um, trying to plow capital into the business. At some point in time, you're gonna need some. Um, my experience is you know, with 10,000, 15, 20,000, that's a lot of money in the beginning to do a lot of interesting things. And you know, if you're efficient with your capital, um, and you you find ways to leverage resources, I think you can go just as far. Do you think a lot of it just is because of the tech age that, that we're growing up in? And I mean, is it like a fear of somebody stealing my idea? And so I need to get, I need to get the first, to, like first to market in, you know, in a matter of months versus a matter of years. Like, I mean, what, yeah. there, I th- there's I so much focus on like raising money. Sure. Every time I talk to an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, I, I gotta money. raise millions of dollars. Right. No, okay, like go do it, right? Dude, just do it, figure out how to do it. No, you're exactly right. I mean, are students worried about people stealing their money, uh, stealing their ideas? For sure. I mean, so so this is, and, and only those on the camera that can see it, this is typically the, the, the way a student comes in to tell you about their idea in the center a lot of times. So Colin, I've got this great idea. Huh. Right? You know, they're looking over their shoulder. Sign well, this NDA, please. Dude, you, know, <laughs> you and 35 other people in this office could try to start that idea and have a hundred different pathways to get there. Yeah, sign this NDA, no, I'm not doing that, sorry. Um, you know, it's, it's all about execution and there's a variety of different ways to get there, so stop freaking out, out about who knows your idea. Now, if you have some unique proprietary intellectual property, then yeah, keep that on the DL, right? Sure. Talk to people, but understand who you're, you're, you're discussing it with. You don't wanna reveal that into the marketplace, but so many, I mean, did, did, did uh, you know, uh, the Burger King come along and say, hey, I've got this great idea for a new burger business, right? You know, I don't want McDonald's to hear about it, right? There's a lot of different ways to, to get out there in the marketplace with ideas. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, just go do it. 
I mean, all too often I have too many students coming in saying, I've got to, I got to raise 20,000. Well, how much have you put in yourself? Well, I haven't put anything in this business. Are you kidding me? Well, right there you lose credibility. If you mm-hmm. don't believe in it and you're not willing to put skin in the game, whether that be time, money, effort, that's going to hard, hard to be hard to convince somebody else to want to do it. Um, but oftentimes you don't need a lot. Um, just start moving forward. At some point you will, and you'll find ways to leverage that capital. But um, I think you're right. There's way too much of an emphasis on it. And you're right. They want to be first to market. They want to blow it up as quickly as possible, not realizing that there's 300 million people in the U.S. and what you try here in Gainesville and fail with a couple times, you can then relaunch in Orlando and Miami and everywhere else. And back to the original point, if you're solving someone's problem, they don't necessarily care if when you first started out, you were, you were bumpy a bit. Mm-hmm. Just solve my problem and I'll buy your product. Good. Now, has that always been the case um, with that emphasis, or is is there something we can point to that explains why? Like, I think about the spread of information through social media and internet and uh, platforms like Kickstarter and stuff like that 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 make crowdfunding yeah. you know such a thing. Like, is there a reason that people put so much emphasis on raising that money up front, or and has that always been the case? I, I think it's just you know it's glamorous. Right, would be my guess. I mean, everybody sees, you know, Facebook. They see uh, Tom's shoes. They see all these companies that raise a tremendous amount of money. Um, but I'm sure, and I don't have the data in front of me, that so many small businesses, even large tech businesses, started small. You only know of them now today, right? I mean, Google in the beginning was two pimply faced kids in a in a dorm room <laughs> trying to make it happen. Um, I believe maybe in the first round they raised maybe 150 thousand. So that's a big amount at the time out in the valley. Maybe not. Um, but I, I just think that we continue to try to emphasize to our students that it's not about the capital, right? It's about customer service. It's about mm. solving a customer's problem. Um, look, the best money you can raise is revenue, <laughs> right? That's your best investor, your customers. Get sure. them to pay you. You know, you're not giving up equity. You don't have a debt burden hanging over your head. You don't have to pay somebody back. Uh, it's not a grant that you have to report on solve a problem, put a product out there. If you start with two, reinvest, start with four, reinvest. That's your best revenue right there, for yeah. sure. I'm sorry, your best capital. Yeah, amen to that. Um, I mean, we gotta wrap up here in a minute. I do have a, a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the first being, uh, so uh, do you think do you think the university system puts too much emphasis on the resume? And the reason I ask this is because um, I when I go and I speak to these student groups and stuff, and you know, and they're all they're very a lot of them will ask me about the resume and stuff, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I get to I get to this point where I'm like, I hope the university system realizes that the CEOs, like here in the very near future, including mm-hmm. like myself, I'm 37, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we don't even look at resumes. Mm-hmm. Like we're Googling, yeah. we're looking at online profiles. Mm-hmm. And I tell, I tell university systems, I was like, instead of, fo- or I tell the students, instead of like focusing on your resume so much, like focus on building colinaustin.com. Mm-hmm. Put your resume there, mm-hmm. show the things that you're involved in, show your work, because that's way more interesting. And then, and then instead of, you know, having a generic e- email address at the top or, you know, yeah. <laughs> calling all the girls at gmail.com <laughs> right. uh, at the top of your resume, have a, uh, <laughs> have colinaustin.com where yeah. you can point people to actually see your real resume, your portfolio yeah. of work. Um, I feel like I haven't seen very much focus on like 
actually building out a portfolio as much as it's like, oh, like this, the margin on your resume is slightly off and mm-hmm. these bullet point, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's just the, my my perspective, um, but I'm super interested to <laughs> find out what somebody who is at UF, yeah. you know, thinks of that well, or, or has seen that. No, all. for sure. I mean, yeah, there's there's lots of kids who who, who definitely they they want to make sure the resume is, is perfect. I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's driven by individuals at the university advising them that way. I don't know if it's driven by the companies that are recruiting them. Um, I mean, more and more now we have companies that aren't necessarily so interested in the resume per se, but they force you into these portals where they can build a resume for you, Mm. right? Fill these buckets in, and obviously they can use that to rapidly screen people. Uh, But there is some format out there uh, where you do have to be able to, these companies that they're interviewing with, convey that back to them. And it could just be that HR says, no, I want the standard resume. I don't have time to go through all these websites of people. Now, as a student, you could say, well, this is who I am, and I only want to work for companies that are interested in that kind of storytelling approach. Uh, so don't even worry about those other companies. I'm not sure, chicken egg, if it's driven by the companies in the market or if it's driven by the university itself, but clearly there's a whole bunch of students who are trying to get jobs with particular companies that are emphasizing that. I think we have to get to a tipping point. Okay. Right. The reality is probably with, with, with all of these younger individuals who are getting into some of these corporate uh, gigs, they'll probably be the ones to drive it, right? They'll be like, I hated resumes when I was in school and I don't think they're valuable either as well. So here's what I want to look for. And hey, guys, we're all on the HR team here hiring. Uh, let's try a different approach. And yeah. that's probably where it will be driven. And I that mean, might not change um, in the near future, but it probably will for sure. That's good because that just makes me feel like I am advising them correctly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I'm just very like, like look, like there's gonna be CEOs like me that literally do not even look right. at your resume and I'm going online and I'm looking at your portfolio. I wanna see a portfolio, sure. but like that's why it's important to know who your audience is. Yeah, and I, I was and, just gonna say that, right? Yeah. For any pitch you're giving, you gotta know who your audience is. So yep. maybe you have the resume ready to go and you have people vet it, how does this look? Well, I'm not really into resumes, so I'm probably not the right person to look at it, right? Go find some of the corporations who still use that approach and get them to give you some advice and feedback. Yeah, that's laid out how we like it. Okay, great, you know? That's like students who come to me and say, what do you think of this cool product? I'm like, well, I'm not your customer, so I'm not gonna tell you if it's good or bad. Go talk to your customer. I mean, I could tell you some questions you have to answer, right? It's the same thing with a resume. If somebody's gonna be looking at it ultimately, then don't go talk to Colin, <laughs> right? Talk to somebody who has to see it, but then show your .com site to Colin and say, what do you think of this? Exactly. Oh, that's cool, that's laid out well. Yeah, but cool. yeah, you're right. This is a strong emphasis on that. Cool. It's almost like teaching to the test, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it reminds us of. Okay, you've gotta have this ready to go so you can get out the door. And then, um, you know, you were kind of joking about like a kickback on on the book and stuff. Yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, 15 years ago, I started this company, right? New Scooters for Less. And when we started, the decals were, were, <laughs> were $26 to park a scooter on campus. Mm-hmm. And there was like 500 something scooters sold. And last statistic I had was in like 2017, mm-hmm. which was like like 6,800 decals sold at the University of Florida for, for scooters. Uh-huh. For at, how much? At a price of $160 mm-hmm. a decal. Um, that's over a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I get my kickback? 
<laughs> from the University of Florida. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll direct you to the Department of Transportation yeah. and Parking. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in that respect. Yeah, Funny, um, they don't answer that email. Yeah, I, sus- I, I suspect that they probably don't. Um, <laughs> uh, Fair point. Uh, certainly an economy is cropping up around your business and people are finding ways to, to be a part of it as well. And yes, with the rise in, 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 in scooters in town, I'm sure. $26 they, to yes. $100. $160 sure. Sure. a decal. You can fit four scooters sure. in the place of a car. That's right. That's I mean, right. Yes. Where is my money? Opportunity. <laughs> Opportunity. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you're managing the business well enough that you're doing fine. Yes. Uh, that's Fair funny. point at the end of the day. But no, I mean, you're right. I mean, we see the NSL, uh, NS4L stickers all Everywhere. over scores. You know, uh, and you probably know this more than I do. Every single time we bring faculty to campus from anywhere in the U.S., they are blown away by the scooter lots that we have. Yeah. And seas of scooters. Even people who, who are based in Southern California schools. Um, I I would think that warm weather locations have lots of scooters, but um, okay, so let me, nobody's ever seen that, like at, at UF. I'm gonna ask you, this, this is strictly for me now. Um, you know, when we started, <clears throat> I mean, but it's relevant to entrepreneurship and, and you know, you set out to solve a problem, right? Mm. You see an opportunity, you solve a problem. The problem was parking, parking. at sure. the University of Florida. Um, over 15 years, mm-hmm. we've, I think we're starting to reach a point where scooters were the solution. Mm-hmm. They were the solution for, for all of these years for students to get to and from class at the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. And now the scooter parking lots are becoming extremely full. Mm. And and where I'm seeing where we, like we were the solution, now I feel like we're mm. just becoming part of a greater problem. Mm. And this is like, this is a new perspective, right? What, what should I do as an entrepreneur um, to ensure that scooters, like our company is a solution to the University of Florida parking problems um, and not becoming just part of the greater problem? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, obviously that's a strategic question for the business. Uh, how do you think about continuing to solve, and, and do you still wanna solve the problem? I mean, I see your mission, right? It's right there on the wall. Help college students get to and from class at their convenience. Uh, that's pretty broad, right? I mean, so where's class? Could it be done virtually? Could, be, could it be done at pop-ups all over town? Uh, you know, do we find out that 35 kids in my class all live in the same apartment complexes near each other? Is there a way for me to go there instead of have them all come to me? Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to slice and dice that mission beyond just scooters become the answer anymore. And so I think at the end of the day, if new scooters for less while it's in the name doesn't necessarily just become a scooter company, but a company that's focused on helping college students get to and from class then you know you know there's a lot of other things that you can do at the end of the day to 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 help drive that mm-hmm. one first and foremost being hey you know what maybe the classroom is a podcast out there in the virtual world that they can listen to and learn from so um you can focus very narrowly on okay we're becoming part of the problem how do we expand how do we uh, over approach that or we can go back to our core mission i'm just hypothought Hypothesizing here, yeah, uh, uh, you know, as, as as to how that would work. Um, I mean, you I'm super. Take... I, I mean, like that's a completely selfish question. Like, no, no, I, sure, I'm right? like super, super just interested in sure. in your perspective as somebody sure, who, sure. you know, advises students all the time. I'm right. Like, I mean, I think we're all students in in some capacity. I mean, I've been doing right. this for 15 years, but I'm no expert. Right. Um, sure. No. So fair point. Inter- 
Super interested in your perspective. Yeah, no, and you know, one of the other things uh, I like to do with students, so I, uh, in the creativity class I have, I like to do this exercise. I think this is one of my favorites, this notion of challenging assumptions, right? You know, so if you sat down and looked at the problem you're trying to solve right now today and said, what are the assumptions associated with that? Now let's turn them over and ask ourselves, uh, how might we build a business or a solution using the reverse? So for example, I wanna launch a restaurant. What are some of the assumptions? Well, they have menus, these are food, whatever. Okay, so talk to me about a restaurant that has no menus. Talk to me about a restaurant that serves no food, right? Challenging assumptions, um, I think is really important. The example uh, I like to give them is, and I don't know who did this experiment, but years ago there was an experiment where they had a big room and they put five chimpanzees in the middle of the room and they put a box and they hung a banana from above the box. And every time a chimpanzee would get on the box to go to the uh, bananas, they'd blast them with cold water, right? And so they take one of the original chimpanzees out and they put a new one in. And that chimpanzee races towards the box and before the jets turn on, the other chimpanzees run over and you know pummel that chimpanzee and you know force it into the corner. So then they take another original chimpanzee out and they put a new one in. Okay, so the new one races for the box and the other original three run over and start beating up that chimpanzee along with the other one who has no idea why he's beaten up on this chimpanzee, <laughs> but that's what we do around here, right? <laughs> so they do this to the point where you have five new chimpanzees in the room, all of whom know not to go near the box because they'll get beat up if they do, but they don't know why. Right, and so nobody's really challenging this assumption because what is what does everybody always say? Well, that's the way we've always done it around here. Mm -hmm. if somebody goes near the box, you beat them. Why? I don't know, but that's what we do. And so I think with businesses, with creative solutions, you always sort of have to ask yourself, how can we challenge some of our assumptions to find a new pathway to where we want to go? So how do you challenge assumptions to help college students get to and from class at their convenience? Yeah. I think we're asking ourselves that all the time. I want to have that two-minute clip saved on my desktop to listen every day. Like, I love that analogy. <laughs> I think it's so perfect. So, yeah, and I, and I think that we as, you know, business leaders are, I mean, we're asking ourselves that all the time. Of course. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm, a lot of students even asking me, uh, you know, about the future. And I, and I always, I mean, I preach evolve or die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it's one of the things I talk about all the time. Absolutely. It's like, you, you evolve or die. And it's funny even hearing you talk about the restaurant stuff because I, like, one, I, in my talk recently, Right. What? Right. At a when when we were in Columbus, I, maybe I use it as an example, but I mean I hear I, you say it all the time. I, so. I say you know people ask me all the time like all right, Colin, like I'm thinking about starting I'm thinking about starting a restaurant. What should I do? And I, and I say, well, go look at what all the other restaurants are doing, mm -hmm. and then go do the opposite. The opposite. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And it's how do you differentiate it's, yourself? It's, yeah. It's really like sure. from a you know because we just have this notion of hey like this is what a restaurant is sure. like you do have menus sure. and you do have food and you you know like and so we so we go and we do we do exactly that we copy we copy because this is what we've been told a that's restaurant right. is that's right um, so I think that's I mean that aligns up perfectly with with a lot of you know my own my own philosophies and thoughts. Sure, so, so in, in, instead of uh, evolve or die, you know, the entrepreneur in me has to say pivot or die. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, 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 get another, good. I get another kickback if I use the word pivot uh, <laughs> yeah. at least three or four times in this in this talk. So Maybe. same idea, right? You have to find, you keep doing these things the same old way, you, you're dead. Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I do remember that story from years ago, Rob Campbell, again, who was at who was at Apple in the early days, and he said, you know, Jobs was constantly saying, we need to compete with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we wait around for somebody else to do it, it drove, I think, the company crazy because they were constantly, you know, obsoleting their own technology and things of that nature very quickly, but, you know, continue to evolve. 
That's great. Um, final question. Uh, so where, like, what, where are we going? Like it's almost 2020. Like, what do you guys? What's happening over at UF? Sure. What do you guys see in the you know 20 for yeah. this year for for 2020 for 2021? Like, where are we going in the near so, future? So, um, uh, you know, I think from an entrepreneurship perspective on campus, uh, I think we're going to continue to see further and further growth from from students. We're endeavoring, obviously, to try to improve the quantity and quality of ventures. One of the things we've looked at most recently is across the spectrum of what students are really good at. That is being inspired ideating, validating, building and growing, where we need to focus more, I think, in the near future is gonna be on ideating. I think getting students to expand their opportunity horizon um, beyond those problems they see in front of them. We tell everybody solve problems. Uh, some of them can be fairly pedestrian, so find ways to expand uh, to bigger and badder problems. And that's on us to try to give them more exercises to expand their opportunity horizon, as well as elevate those on campus who are doing really cool things. Uh, that's what our focus will be, and, and, and at the same time, continuing to try to improve, because continuous improvement is, is important. It's great, man. Any last thing? Nah, it's good, man. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it was fun, guys. This, this was Thank awesome. you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed no, of it. Of course. Um, people can find you guys at UF Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com forward slash UF Entrepreneurs, correct? Yep. And, um, and yeah, just thank you so much for joining Great. us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. It was World. a pleasure. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast. The podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. whoa. Give us your best whoa. Whoa. <laughs> nice. Actually, I guess it would be Keanu Reeves. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Right. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah.